In today's episode, I'd like to discuss how can we scale CPU-intensive backends. How about we jump into it? Hey guys, if you're enjoying my content, make sure to check out my Udemy courses. I have two courses, Introduction to Database Engineering course, over 14 hours worth of exclusive content, right? And uh, also my Python on the backend course. Check them out. The link will be in the pinned comment below. It supports the show. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hussein Nasser. This is the show where we discuss the art and the craft of building software and cover recent news on backend technologies. If you enjoy the show, make sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel and rate it on Spotify and Apple Podcast. With that said, let's get on on the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Backend Engineering Show with your host, Hossein Nasser. And before we start, we really need to define what do we really mean by CPU-intensive workloads or backends? And what do we really mean by scaling here, right? And to me, scaling, when we say scaling, a lot of people think that, oh, I'm going to just spin up multiple machines and just throw my workload on these machines. I usually don't look at scaling this way. Because I think this is extremely inefficient uh, uh, scaling. We, we always, uh, r- unfortunately, run into these fancy things like Docker containers and microservices. And then, okay, let's, let's, just, let's just distribute everything. But we really underestimate the, the, the power of a single machine. And how can you effectively saturate a single machine? right before you even think right of the idea of scaling because it all starts from a single machine and that's why i always like to think about things and you when i say machine you can think of a physical machine which is like my representation of things all the time and then you can think of a virtual machine things change a little bit there you can also change of a uh, think of a docker container with certain allocated resources to it uh, you can you can you can really slide your 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 equalizer anywhere you want but let's talk about an actual machine physical machine here all right and uh, so scaling to me here is saturate that machine so that you can take advantage of almost 90% 95% leaving some 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 resources for the system to do its work or some for for some important work that the machine has to do like uh, input output uh, talking through uh, talking to the network stuff like that right uh, sending packets out of the network you need cpu for that unfortunately right so you need to leave some some work some resources for these kind of things but event- effectively how do you 
scale the machine vertically, right? Just, just whatever cores, memory you have, you you were given, like how can you effectively take as much from that machine before considering the next step of scaling, which is horizontally scale. So like, let's spin up. Now, now that I know I'm so efficient, right? I'm taking so much of this machine, right? I can go up to, right? This much of this single machine. Now I can effectively just spin up multiple machines, right? And then scale my workload horizontally. So vertically and horizontally. I know some people think of horizontal, vertical part, uh, 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 scaling as just like add more cores, but you can only add more cores if your software actually take advantage of these resources. Right? If your if your workload can go up to twenty percent of the machine and just leaves it, uh, it doesn't doesn't go by beyond that, and then you go and add more r- machines, that's a waste, right? If you think about it. So that's what I mean by scaling. Now let's go, what do we mean by CPU-intensive workload? CPU-intensive workloads are pure CPU-intensive workload. Is really a process or, or even backends that you build and you spin up that is just using the CPU and, and, and doesn't do anything else. It doesn't hit a database. It doesn't uh, talk to a, another service through IO. Uh, there is no IO per se going outside the machine or to desk, right? There is a little bit of an IO in memory itself. But if, if you want to go to pure CPU intensive, you don't even leave the CPU, right? You're purely living in the CPU and it's cache and it's registered re- registers, right? You don't even leave that realm of the CPU. That's a pure CPU intensive. They're obviously rare, but an example is um, uh, crypto mining, right? These miners, it's like they, they solve equations. Almost, there is no writing to desk. You don't write anything to desk, maybe results or stuff like that, but uh, that's one thing, right? Uh, um, Encryption is a CPU intensive workload as well. As well. Uh, scientific uh, calculations, stuff like that, right? So backends that are CPU intensive tend to be completely stateless. That means when you send a request to that backend, right? And it receives that request. All it does, it just takes that request and then it lives in the CPU, just, just does all the processing and then return the response to you. It, there's no state stored intermediate that, 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 that the machine relies on. So this is CPU intensive workload. And this is as opposed to the IO bound, right? Or CPU bound, IO bound workloads where, where hey we're most of the time io bound is just hey you make you read something from desk and you just wait for it to come back right so the cpu isn't doing much work it's just waiting so the cpu obviously is not just waiting for this it's gonna do some other stuff it's gonna get scheduled so the cpu will d- do something else meanwhile but it's most of the time it's just waiting you're reading from this, so or, or you're reading from a network, you're just sending a request to another machine that does the actual work, right? But you is just sitting there and doing nothing, right? So that's the idea of CPU bound versus IO bound. So we're talking about CPU bound. We understand what CPU bound is, CPU intensive workload. We understand what IO bound, no. We understand what scaling is. Now, how will we actually scale the CPU intensive workloads? If you think about a single 
if my backend is listening on a port, right, and you can pick any protocol, right, HTTP, normal, TCP, right, once you receive a request or a packet to process this request on the backend, right, you now live on the CPU land. And usually you, we can uh, solve this problem many, many ways. You can break your CPU intensive workload so that it is multi-threaded and just just that single workload just split up and just start running onto multiple threads. And as a result, it will start using multiple cores in your machine. So that's very effective. But most sometimes breaking this right doing multi-threading is, is sometimes difficult and you have to think about how can i break this like uh, just sometimes not possible if it's possible then this you you're efficiently distributing um again i'm in a single machine right it's a single workload cpu that doing this operation you're doing multi-threading and then you you're distributing the work if you can't do that then that single workload will 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 hog a single core and it's just gonna be there and slamming that core single core just gonna be 99 percent busy doing that thing okay so if you think about it how can i scale this how much can i go well let's say my machine is eight core well i can go up to eight processes eight back end services listening on the same machine Let's have it. Let's have, let's have them listen to a different ports, right? Or you can listen to the same port if you use this uh, shared uh, uh, socket option, reuse port. I think I'm gonna put in the screen uh, Linux option where you can listen to the same port. Doesn't matter, right? You're listening to multiple ports or listening to the same port. Okay, and now you can go up to eight. But if you think about it, this is if you do receive eight concurrent requests to do this cpu intensive workload then your machine is 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 completely hogged it is doing 100 percent doing all this work so now the C the system is gonna suffer doing its own normal operations and you might say hussein i don't care about the system i'm okay let's take 100 percent of that machine this is this is a little bit radical you can do that definitely but sometimes you need to talk to the machine to 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 shut it down to to restart it you need to do a remote you need to ssh into it you do you need to do something to that machine you need to listen to it somehow right <laughs> uh, so as a result you you need uh, you like it or not the back in itself need to do some work because it's listening on a on a port right so it's doing some packet processing so that needs some cores as well uh, and it depends how what what protocol do you use that cpu is going to go up and down based on what kind of protocol you're using right so you have to think about it, all this stuff when you build an actual production level backends right but let's say we're going to leave a core for system i'm going to use seven out of the eight cores so you can spin up to seven processes beautiful right and now, if I receive seven concurrent requests, right, right, I can distribute these among among my processes. You can let 
you can make things easier and listen to the same port and let Linux does the distribution for you. It's just, I think it goes around Robin when you do a socket option reuse port. We'll just, we'll just, we'll receive a request to import 8080, for example, but there are seven processes listening on port 8080. And you might say, I'm saying, you can't listen, two processes cannot listen to the same port. Yeah, there is an option to do that. You can, you can override that in Linux. And then when you receive a packet, right, a send request to, to, to establish connection, Linux is smart enough to always uh, go to the same process. It will just uh, almost make a sticky connection to that process. So uh, upcoming requests from the same source port, source IP, will always go to the same process. And it will just do that old balancing for you. So that's the, the cleanest way to do things, in my opinion. So now... You have some sort of a load balancing with, with minimum efforts, right? You got to leave a core or two. I don't know how many, how many you, you need to practice this, right? And, and see how your machine really react, uh, like how much work Linux needs to do this load balancing, how much, how, if you need to SSH into the machine or not. You, you need some cores left for that. So you can do seven or six. And then if you're going to hammer these requests, right any upcoming request will go to these seven right until they are saturated doing the work future request they're gonna wait they're gonna get queued up in the linux right kernel or the network stuff right that's interesting i don't know what really happened during the queuing parts of things it's very interesting i believe linux take acknowledges the packet but puts it in the queue in the operating system queue until it's uh, some of the machines are are free to receive some of the processes are free to receive these packets again okay? but it's very interesting to think about that now we are looking at the single core and some of you might say hussein uh, this is kind of a waste if you think about it right because as you're talking about physical cores here eight cores or eight physical cores but most most machines most cpus have this idea of hyper threading right the idea of having a single core act like two logical processes right logical cores effectively right processor is the whole thing and it has eight cores but to to the operating system it it looks and it sees oh i'm seeing 16 cores right there are 16 logical cores while we have eight right and the idea is all because of the time slicing most of the time when you even in the cpu intensive workload Sometimes you need you need to read from RAM and you write to RAM, and that millisecond, not even millisecond, microsecond, in that microsecond the CPU is waiting for to write and read from the I/O and RAM, right? In that few microseconds, in that the, the CPU can be snuck in and do something else, right? And I don't understand how how these hardware things work. Uh, I think Linux that tech tips have a uh, have a video or two about this hyper threading also gary explains a, a channel talk about the hardware I'm, I'm, I'm not that great in hardware so it is a single core but to the or to the operating system it looks like two effectively and it will be it will schedule two requests effectively to the cpu so that you, you can take advantage of that and say, okay, I'm not going to spend just seven out of my eight cores. I'm going to spend, I don't know, 14, 15 processes. And will you get the same performance? I honestly don't know, right? You might, you might 
squeeze it depends again on your workload if your workload is purely cpu is living in the cpu and and it's using pure registers it's not leaving to go anywhere no io no ram then yeah maybe uh then i don't think you can you can take advantage of hyper threading but if you're going to the RAM and doing some stuff like that, then yeah, you're going to do some context switching. You're going to go leave that. You can squeeze uh, some performance out of that. Again, to me, I don't know. We can we can try. If it was this, this is my production, I'm going to try enable hyper threading, see the performance and spin up 16, see how much requests per second I can execute and compare to uh, without hyper threading for example or without this uh, idea of having multiple so now we're still living in a single machine guys right we didn't even leave that machine try to suck the life out of that single machine take every performance uh, uh, advantage you can take from that single machine right and we can think about multiple things but now how will i scale it horizontally which is really not the hard part if you think about it let's put a load balancer on top of that and that is what is exposed to the user and now i'm gonna put the same machine i'm gonna clone it da, 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 da. whatever i did with that machine i spin up seven or 17 processes whatever the number that i think is efficient to to completely saturate that machine so that it is it doesn't doesn't completely cripple i still can do stuff with it but that's 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 how much I can uh, I can take advantage of a single machine. Now you can scale it, right? Just like spin up one, two, three, four, five, seven machines, right? Again, when I say machine, you can think of a virtual machine, right? Which which kind of adds another factor, right? If you're using uh, a hypervisor, add some work. So your cores are really not pure cores, right? There's some work the hypervisor is doing, right? You can you have to play with those, right? Uh, and take it into advance, uh, uh, take it into consideration. Uh, containers, <laughs> the, the whatever the uh, the container management solution, right? That does the work as well. But regardless, I'm spinning all these machines up now. I have a load balancer, HA proxy, Nginx, uh, all this fancy stuff in Voy now my request goes to the load ba uh, load balancer and then it will just basically spin these requests to all these machines now the load balancer should be smart enough to know what machines are doing this work effectively right and and how 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 filled are they and can i actually make requests to these and there are a lot of load balancing algorithms that you can consider right least recently used least use i least connection used I, I believe if you have the least number of connections to this machine that means you can you can do more right you can send request more to this machine right that's just by by the fact of looking at the uh, tcp connections and how many connections i have to the backend and you can effectively use that algorithm that's the simplest one round robin is is not a good idea for this i believe <laughs> uh, round robin if you use the default round robin you don't know if your cpu intensive workload is predictable i don't know it takes always one minute then round robin is fine i believe but if it depends on the input 
I don't think you can do round robin. You need, you need something a little bit smarter. You may be needing your own load, uh, load balancing algorithm. You need to write your own to, to kind of look at the input. And based on that input, oh, this I think this is going to take this much. Based on that, which machines are free, which are not, right? Least connect will work, I believe. Because assuming that once you finish the workload, you disconnect the connection to know that you're done. But it's very, very interesting because load balancers or reverse proxies don't really disconnect the, the backend, right? They leave the connection for uh, pooling purposes, right? Connection pooling because the, the cost of the connection establishment could go uh, higher as well. All right, guys, uh, let's keep it short uh, this episode. I just wanted to talk about the CPU intensive worker. What do you think about this topic? Uh, do you have any other ideas of how you can scale these kind of things in production environments? All right, I'm going to see you in the next one. You guys stay awesome. Goodbye.